RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thursday is Money Talks Day here at RCR Breakfast. Farzan Arani joins me again to join the dots, the money dots. Farzan, good to see and hear from you again. Yeah, pleasure's mine, mate. Good morning. Okay, and the uh, pleasure's our audience because they really like hearing what you have to say. So, boy, there's always so much happening. Um, I think we should talk debt in this program and sort of separate out the areas of debt that we have. And uh, I hear it reported like this personal, you know, when they say every citizen owes X amount, usually there's an amount that I suppose you, you divide the private debt between the number of citizens, you get the figure. But then there's also what taxpayers owe, right, as taxpayers, or I guess um, what the government owes, and then that's divided up amongst the taxpayers or the citizens. So um, I, I may have that right or wrong, but there's two ways of looking at that debt. Should we start off with um, the higher figure, which I think is the um, the taxpayer debt, Right? Have I got that right? That's the higher figure, what every taxpayer owes. Yes, that's correct. And we decided um, we're going to talk about this today because obviously I want to highlight to listeners how all of this works because I mentioned in the past that governments will default on their debt. So governments have obligations. When you said the higher debt for taxpayers, and this is where I just want people to start listening and connecting the dots, is when a country has debt that it's taken on, uh, not all of it can simply be divided by the number of citizens um, they have, because not all citizens are contributing to the revenue of the country uh, by paying taxes or being productive in the economy. So uh, today, we're just going to slow down and talk about the usdebtclock.org um so people can understand some of these figures and the number you mentioned per taxpayer in america was two hundred fifty-three thousand dollars. that comes from the u.s national debt which it claims on that page is about 32.8 trillion dollars which is an unimaginable sum if you were stacking it in in dollar bills right i mean that would fill warehouses wouldn't it okay. Absolutely. So that's 32 followed by 12 zeros. Just so people understand yeah. the magnitude of that, a billion dollars is 1,000 million, a trillion dollars is 1,000 billion, and this is 32.8 trillion. So it's 32 followed by 12 zeros, which is the national debt of the USA. And when you when you divide that by their citizens, which some people think is about 140, $150 million, the, the, it very cleverly shows that national debt per citizen is only 97.8 thousand. Sorry, I'm saying only. Uh, it is quite a large amount. So let's say almost 100,000 per citizen, but per taxpayer is 253,000. So you see the difference in there. It's 150,000 higher for every taxpayer because the taxpayer is the one who's paying tax into the system, whereas the others are taking money out of the system. So if you're a productive part of the economy, regardless of what country you're in, you're being taxed, and that is the government's revenue. Yeah. And um, we won't go off on the New Zealand thing. The reason I did this research only very quickly was obviously we're going into an election uh, coming up in New Zealand in a couple of months, and in the budget there was some talk about uh, Grant Robertson asking, as I'd already mentioned, they were going to have to cut expenses. 
and I think he's got $4 billion off uh, some budget of uh, public um, entities and stuff like that. Mainly consultants or consultants are a yeah. uh, component consul- of that. Uh, apparently they are earning too much money, but this is the first I've ever mentioned it. So it's taken well, it's only because it's election. Well, only because it's election time, yeah, so they have to be seen like they're pulling back. And it's the low-hanging but- fruit, right? Well, it is, right? They can put in consultants and pull them out quickly. So going two months out of an election, cut some expenses, be seen as being responsible. And the sentence they used was, oh, we promised that we were going to keep our debt to GDP at 30%, which is good, actually. New Zealand and Australia are quite good when it comes to debt to GDP, because this number that I quoted of uh, the US debt, it's sitting at about 125 to 130% of their GDP. So if you think about it, how they're ever, ever going to pay that back. And there's a good study done in the 1990s, I think in 97, don't quote me again, but by two uh, academics called Ken and Rogoff. Uh, and Jim Ricards quotes those that study quite a lot in his work as well. If people know who, Joe, who international uh, finance person Jim Ricards is, he's written quite a few books. And he, in that is clearly mentioned that once a country's debt goes about 90% debt to GDP, it spirals out of control very quickly. And that is what has happened with America is uh, since the last eight years, it's just gone out of control. And while we're on this topic, I just want people to understand why it's getting out of hand as well, right? So um, in 2021 and 2022, um, they obviously had good tax revenues because remember there was fiscal spending. The government handed out money just like they did in New Zealand. In America also people handed out, the government handed out I think it was $600 checks uh, that were being posted out to all the And also citizens. the economy was doing well under Trump. Well, of course it was. So they were yes. getting tax in. Yeah, because he was were making money. Exactly. And anyway, then they had to kill that. They don't like the economy doing well. well I don't say I, 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 I'll just want to say man that. man bad. Remember that. Yeah, building walls and this and that. So let us kill the economy. But to give you an idea, in, in the last fiscal year in, in the U.S., their tax revenue, this is when, so I want now people to start thinking what's happening and project this forward. So in a good year, their tax revenue was $4.5 trillion because it's a big economy. U.S. is yeah. still the biggest economy and China comes in second. That $4.5 trillion in taxes is broken down between income taxes and payroll taxes. I won't go into the finer details, but just think about their taxes were $4.5 trillion in a very good year. And their spending was $6.32 trillion. So they spend more than they earn. So their deficit was $1.8 trillion. That's $2 trillion. That's $2,000 billion that they're spending more than they're taking in. And that's in a good year. So now we see bankruptcies happening in America. We see people starting to lose jobs, not as much as other economies. But this just put this in frame with every other country that's taken on debt. It's called a budget deficit because the government spends more than they earn. In this case, they're spending about $130 for every $100 they earn. Not sustainable. In the U.S., it's different because everyone has to buy government U.S. government debt. People don't need to buy New Zealand government debt, which we also mentioned last week. So, And um, I'll just carry on this for just one little second. This is only the official number. So when people, if they if they jump on usdebtclock.org, that's the first thing they'll see on the top left-hand corner. I would tell people to scroll down to the bottom right-hand corner because what they don't tell you very well is 
The government has now promised, and, and this is true in all Western democracies, where we offer Medicare and free health care and all that kind of stuff and Social Security when you retire. People talk about retiring in New Zealand at 65 and in Australia at 60. And the older generation is like, oh, I'm two years away from retirement and then I can relax and chill out. I don't think that is going to be the case. If you're relying on the government to keep uh, you sustained, just, just think about it twice because on the bottom of that page, America's unfunded liabilities. So on the top is the funded liability, the debt that has already been issued, but its unfunded liabilities are $193.4 trillion. Oh, gosh. That is 193.4. So the 193 followed by 12 zeros is unfunded liabilities. What that means is the government, US government, has promised Social Security of 22.85 trillion. Medicare of 35.6 trillion and their defense war budget is 792 billion. Let's just take the top two social security, which is your superannuation, what they promise people. You paid us taxes your entire life. We'll pay you back. We look after you in your gray years and your retirement years. 22.85 trillion and Medicare, which is 35.6 trillion. Unfunded liabilities. USA doesn't have that money as of right now. It's a future liability for the government. Now think about a pandemic, and people dying. I'm letting people connect the dots in their head. So most Western democracies have promised their citizenry, when you retire at 60 or 65, we will look after you. And, and they we'll can't give you a keep pension. the promise. They, they, will, they, they aren't going to be able to keep the promise, right? So As what I'm do you do when it. you can't keep the promise? Is that the dots we're joining up? Yeah. And a little bit of silence required there for people. Yeah, we don't think. need to say the words, but mm -hmm. we know that kind of the strategy that would have, could apply to that. Exactly, exactly. So they can't come out and say something. So there are different ways of doing different things. So okay, let's say that. Let's say there's something in that, and um, you would then ask the question, um, because that's still not an excuse to do that, even if you, you're going to have a, a, an economy collapse, because what's more precious than an economy are human lives. So it seems that uh, it, if that is happening, that's a dastardly plan. Well, it's, isn't it? Yeah, of course. It is, it is evil. It is pure evil. But as you said, human lives are what make up the economy. But now, if you're a government or a politician or whoever the evil plan is or whatever it is, there's a difference in the human life there, Paul. One is an asset for you. If you're 20 to 45-year-old, when you're the most productive in the economy, let's say 30 to 45. The economy needs you. The economy needs you because you're being taxed and you're at your highest income earning years. 30 to 50, let's say, for example. And then you're on the downhill, right? So... When you say life is important in an economy and the uh, population, yes. But what part of the population, the productive part of the population is what you want to keep. That's why when Western democracies have immigration policies, what do they want? They want the highly skilled people and you get certain points for your age as well. The older you are, the fewer points you get on an immigration uh, system. So this is all done for a reason because they want more productive people who are going to contribute to the taxes. And that's why I've said people from India, your Philippines, your Vietnams, all these Asian countries come to the Western democracies for a better standard of life and the currency is stronger. But also because they're going to be the most productive in the economy, 
Whereas the older part of the generation is not productive, especially to governments, the ones after 65, because they have to be looked after unless you're in the retirement village business. Or your is family a, yeah. does the work, and, and there's no reason why that shouldn't uh, operate. The thing is, though, so that presupposes the model is that we're all just robots and slaves to an economic system that someone somewhere, a group of people, whoever they are, are concerned is unsustainable, and somehow we all have to pay. Now, getting back to the debt, okay, the US, you, you mentioned those huge figures. Who actually owns the debt? Who do they borrow it off? Um, some of it is other governments. Uh, obviously, Japan and China were the two biggest holders of U.S. debt. Yep. What's recently happened, and this is why, again, we link into what the interest rates and all of that stuff, why they're going up. Uh, U.S. debt held by foreign countries is $7.5 trillion off the $32.5 trillion. The rest could be held by internal insurance companies, banks. And we explained that last week as well, why banks are collapsing because they have U.S. Treasury bills. Uh, the sovereign funds, insurance companies, all of that. But foreign countries. Now, if you think about Japan and China used to be the two biggest debt holders, China has been liquidating their U.S. Treasury holdings in the last year, year and a half, quite a lot. So why would China be selling U.S. debt? Why would China fund its enemy? Because if U.S. keeps saying we, we're going to help Taiwan, and why would China give money to the U.S.? to buy weapons to hurt them back doesn't make sense. So China... Well, it makes sense if you want to call that debt in and, I don't know if collapse is the word, but help collapse an economy, which yes, is but then, an ultimate yeah. war, act of warfare, isn't it? Of course, of course it is. But the whole point is uh, countries... My, this is where I say I do geopolitics and macroeconomics because... The whole thing is if you're China and you're holding on to one and a half, two trillion dollars worth of debt, you don't dump it in the middle of the night because you're not going to get your money back. So you gradually do it over a period of time. You start liquidating those treasuries as they come up for renewal. You do not re-buy the assets. You do not reinvest them. You just let them expire. So when I buy a bond, let's give you an example. So if I buy a US government bond, if I bought it for a million dollars worth of treasury bonds over three years, as I said, and let's say they were paying me 3% interest, in three years' time when it comes back, they have to give me the million dollars plus the 3% interest. That's what a bond is. So in three years' time when that comes up, I just don't reinvest that million dollars back in US treasury bonds. I say, thank you very much. I'll take the million dollars, put it in my bank account, and I'm out. So they don't necessarily force sell them. They just don't renew their treasury bonds or reinvest into the market. And they could be buying maybe gold or they might be buying oil from the Saudis and stuff in UAE because those were the there were six countries added into the BRICS that was happening last week. That's yeah. something completely offline again. But those two countries joined the BRICS uh, and China has been buying a lot of oil and stuff. Um, so, yeah, countries, China would not want to just dump it because it would have a massive loss on his book. It just gradually gets out and gets out and gets out. And also Japan, when the US dollar was strong, Japan liquidated some as well. Because So when you liquidate this, you get US dollars in return. So again, a country, again, this is 
a bit deeper level macroeconomic stuff. But when you need US dollars and there's a US dollar shortage, this is what will be coming in the future as well. There will be a liquidity shortage of US dollars around the world. What do you have to do? You sell the treasury bonds because they have to pay you back in US dollars. So if I have a US dollar shortage, Japan's been doing that. They've been selling off some as well, but they're rebuying more. They're supporting the G7 countries that they're kind of part of. Korea and Japan are the two, sorry, South Korea, to be specific. South Korea and Japan are the two Eastern countries that are on the G7 and the Western uh, side of things. The other countries are now quickly moving towards the BRICS side of things. So as I told you, there will be a East and a West block. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see fun in these things. But now think... Uh, this is just China doing it. And because America canceled Russia's uh, foreign holding reserves, which is, again, U.S. dollars through the SWIFT system and the Treasury bonds, most countries have seen what happened after Ukraine and gone, do we need to be holding so many U.S. Treasury bonds? Too risky, potentially. Too risky because, hey, you could be on the wrong side of America tomorrow and they could just confiscate your assets, right, that you build because you send them washing machines and this and that and all that stuff. And they just paid you in paper currency because they can print it to the trillions, as we've already seen. Um, but they could still then stop your access to it. So they've literally confiscated your stuff. So now countries, again, countries are waking up. Central banks around the world used to have U.S. Treasury bonds on their uh, balance sheets. Um, I'm not saying the US dollar is going to end as the global reserve currency, but there's a difference between a global reserve currency and a global reserve asset. And most central banks around the world hold US treasury bonds and US dollars on their balance sheet as the global reserve asset. Now, if you're in India, or if you're in Vietnam or in Indonesia or somebody, I'm just saying any country, and you say, oh, if we say the wrong thing, US could take our uh, freeze our assets. Why would we hold more of that? So now start thinking about what that happens. It's a transition that plays out over six or eight years. But everyone needs US dollars right now. So this is the thing that's happening with BRICS. It's not an overnight shift. It'll slowly start and develop into a BRICS uh, unit that will then maybe issue their own currency at some stage where they can uh, um, trade in that. So you don't need the US dollar. You just circumvent the US dollar anyways, which everyone's been doing. So India's been buying oil from Russia and paying Indian rupees. But at some stage, they hit a block where Russia themselves said, hey, enough of the Indian rupees because Russia can only buy so much stuff from India. And then they have excess Indian rupees that are not going to be accepted anywhere else, really. And this is why the US dollar is the global reserve currency, because everyone accepts the US dollar. Isn't it, it underpinned, though, by petrodollar? And isn't the one of the significant uh, um, BRICS moves of recent times, you talk about those... Uh, new members coming in, is Saudi Arabia's in there now. They have basically an unlimited quantity, well, for now anyway, of oil, of petrochemical products that can come from it. And that um, by not trading in US dollars for that asset and creating a, another currency or moving to a currency they decide upon, whatever that might be, that does sort of assault the US dollar, doesn't it, potentially? Yes, but it's very slow, as I just gave you one example, mate. The petrodollar, let's explain to some of our listeners who might not know this about history. After 1971, when Richard Nixon cut the link to gold, so all currencies were linked to the US dollar, US dollar was linked to gold, Richard Nixon comes on 
TV in August 1971 and says we're not going to order this anymore. So then people go, why would we need the US dollar if we can't turn it into gold? Uh, so Henry Kissinger, who's now about 100, Kissinger. He's still uh, breathing. Yeah. He's still breathing. Um, so he obviously went to the Saudis and said, hey, how about we defend you guys and stuff, but you can only send, uh, sell your oil and stuff in uh, US dollars. And that's why it's been given the name petrodollar. Uh, so that is how it all started. But I would not necessarily say, again, people, 80% of the population around the world thinks that is why the US dollar. Um, yes and no. And then all countries and uh, started dealing with because everyone needs petrol. Without petrol, nothing works. So without Yeah, energy, if you can buy it in, in non-US dollars, then the demand yes. for those dollars drops off, doesn't it? Yes. So that is what China's done, right? So China's buying it in yuan already so that was the first thing which america does not like is the uae and saudi have agreed to sell in yuan so this is what i'm saying it's not a tectonic shift overnight it plays out over years these they will have unilateral and bilateral agreements so as i said russia and india said okay we'll take it in rupees but russia quickly realized six eight months later damn india is buying so much oil and now we have so much indian rupees we got no use for those indian rupees what are we going to do with it uh, obviously, India was buying a lot because they were then refining it and sending it back to Europe yeah. because Europe said we won't buy Russian oil. But it was the same thing. They were buying Russian oil and then India just sent They were the laundering ships. the oil, basically. O oil, yes. Yeah. So countries are smart. And um, so countries will slowly agree between themselves. So it's called a bilateral agreement that we will trade in each other's currency. So let's say... Uh, Russia and India are doing that. And now India has access, uh, Russia has excess reserves. What do they do with it, though? So at some stage, the talk of the town is these BRICS countries are going to have to come up with one uniform currency, call it a BRIC or BRICS or whatever. And at some stage, some people are saying it will be commodity backed. So it will be backed by a basket of commodities, which could be oil, petrol, copper, gold, silver, all that kind of stuff. Uh, some people say it will just be easier just to do it with gold. Um, but what I keep reminding my listeners is, do you think those governments are any better than your governments? Do you think China, India, and Russia and all want to give give away power to just create money out of thin air? Because they would have done it a long time back if they were... Re so all governments want to tax. And all governments don't want to be honest and back their currency with gold. In fact, uh, I would I would say if America backed their currency backed by gold, can you imagine the amount of gold that would be going out just to pay back this $32.8 trillion. So the uh, price of gold would have to rise then tremendously. Yeah. And that's some of the analysts out there. Even Jim Ricards in one of his book talks about the new case for gold. And he does two or three different calculations where he comes up with a $10,000 USD price of gold in the future. But most governments would not ounce. do that. Per ounce. Per right. ounce. Boy, it'd so be worth going be back up into the West Coast hinterland <laughs> with your little dredge and everything. It's but and and kind of doing what they were doing, you know, back 150 years ago. Yeah, but most governments don't want that, and that's why they're taking us to CBDC. The right thing would be to do that. The right thing would be to say we live within our means. If we earn $100 in taxes, we'll spend 80 and we'll leave the rest for when there's a weather event or something like that. Let's live within our means, but most countries aren't doing that. What and what that happens then <clears throat> if the with, with such a huge debt – that the U.S. has. What happens if they defaulted? Well, eventually they then? will. I've told you all governments are going to default. Okay, um, but yeah, well, but uh, they're, the, they're the big kahuna. What what happens if they say, sorry, out of money, 
can't, for whatever reason, can't uh, honour the debt or we can't honour this much of the debt or, or whatever, what happens? Firstly, I'd say US would be the last one to do it because they're the only government in the world who can just keep printing. So everyone, okay, for now they keep printing money. Yeah, but everyone needs US dollars, right? So that's been their little advantage. What's US's biggest export? Can you answer that question for me, Paul? Would be their money. Yeah, it's that's it. Their biggest export is the US dollars because everyone needs the US dollar to so buy. So the more debt they have, because there's a demand, they can just get the printing machines and say, okay, here's what we owe you. Freshly printed fiat currency yeah. notes. And yeah. everyone's like, okay, well, thank you. Yeah, we're happy with that. But surely that can't go on forever. It can't. No, it can't, and it won't. And and that's the whole point. But what I want people to understand is the US would be the last one who cannot do that. Because as I explained, let's look at the New Zealand example. When I said, why is the interest, why interest rates are going up globally on all governments, but I don't need New Zealand dollars for anything, really unless I want to deposit money in a new New Zealand dollar account, uh, bank account, or to buy New Zealand government bonds. Um, something as simple as uh, milk and commodities are also sold, or even our timber and stuff is sold in US dollars. So I don't need New Zealand dollars. So the less demand there is, there's oversupply. So the interest rates have to go up. Now, U.S., everyone needs that. So U.S. can just keep printing it and printing it. If you remember during COVID, again, I might be going to the macroeconomic thing, but this is where central banks talk to each other. And uh, countries like New Zealand and Australia were uh, given swap lines. Somebody who's into macroeconomics will understand what I'm saying, but central banks amongst themselves agree on swap lines. And um, the Federal Reserve in America gave swap lines to the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, which means they will give Reserve Bank of New Zealand so many U.S. dollars. Uh, because there's a shortfall. When panic happens, everyone rushes into the US dollar, which means there's a massive shortfall of US dollars. And then they just, they don't print anymore. Remember, uh, there's a little joke out there with the Federal Reserve Chairman um, uh, with a little money printer in his hand going brrr. And it's a little hashtag BRR uh, on LinkedIn and financial uh, Twitter and all of that stuff, which means he's just printing fresh money out of thin air. But they just create magic digits. And what we saw in America was they were buying these uh, well, through BlackRock. They allowed BlackRock to buy these mortgage-backed securities. And that's why you saw these house prices going up as well. There, there's two, three, four different factors in there, mate. But yeah, the government just prints, the Federal Reserve creates money out of thin air. And just on one one of those topics, right? So when we're talking about interest rates going up, I mentioned last week, it's not because the Reserve Bank of New Zealand is increasing it. That's more a reactionary function. It is the bond markets asking for a higher yield for the New Zealand government debt. So another thing I'd let people connect the dots, about two or three weeks back, I'd said the New Zealand government had given the Reserve Bank $500 billion to defend the currency. I remember you saying that, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And I had mentioned then the New Zealand dollar was going to go down, which it did to 0.59, and yesterday it was down to 0.589. And then okay. you see Grant Robertson coming out and saying we're going to cut $4 billion because we want to keep 30% debt to GDP. So what you got to understand, some of these things are also comments for international investors saying, okay, can we realize... We're being too naughty. You don't need to hold our debt. And yes, we have not in increased our interest rates. We promise, we promise. We, we, we're cutting costs here. Look, 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 please hold on to our New Zealand dollar. Okay? So again, there's two, three layers of this in these comments. 
which is saying, because it's just like a family, as I said, a government has to be seen that we are pulling back. Yes, 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 we know our debt is risky and we're not giving you higher interest rates. Now, in America, the interest rates are going up as well. And this is why the New Zealand dollar has taken quite a hit. We're sitting at, I think, 5.25, if I'm not mistaken, or 5.5, because I also pay a lot of attention to the global markets. So the US dollar, uh, US interest rates are higher than us. But if you think about this, government at 32.8 trillion, which is the US government, at 5.5% interest rates, just work out what your interest expense is per year. So you know how I told you America's taking four and a half trillion in taxes. Just based on that, 3.8 trillion is the interest expense. So right. there is no money left for social security. There is no money left for Medicare. There is literally no money left for defense and war, but they're still not only spending on their defense and war, they're actually handing money to Ukraine. Yeah. They're talking about canceling student loans. So if their interest expense is almost four and their tax take in their best year was four and a half, they have to fill in the gaps, unfunded liability or social security, Medicare, defense war, handing money to Ukraine, canceling student loans. So the government is pretty much going to have to create debt out of thin air of at least two and a half, three trillion for every year moving forward. And it goes more and more into the minus. So this is now going to get to an exponential stage where the debt's going to exponentially get bigger. And just think through, if the interest rates keep going higher, is it possible that literally all the tax revenue just goes to interest? It is. It, it is. is possible at some point. It's exactly. like the singularity. <laughs> exactly. So this yeah. is the exponential The black part. hole is created. Yeah, the black yeah. Hole everything is sucked into it. And add to this, add to this. Now, now again, connecting some dots, this is from a macroeconomic perspective. Do you know there was a debt ceiling rubbish argument going on in America? And yes, all? I hear them talking about that a lot. They are increasing the debt ceiling all the time. Yeah. The, so the whole point is, I think it's called a ceiling for a reason to make the politicians stop when you hit a ceiling. Yeah, but I, when you adjust the height of the ceiling, you yes. really don't actually have a ceiling. But okay. I, I, I love these humorous ones with you, right? Um so so that's the whole point. It's a ceiling for a reason. So you go, Oh, I hit the ceiling. Let me just pull back a little bit. So they've they've increased since the debt ceiling was put in place. I think it's 80 times or 82 times that they've increased the debt ceiling. But what happened this time was going into all of this, they were like, oh, the debt ceiling, oh, no, the Republicans aren't going to let us increase this and all that. But as you saw, what they did was this time they didn't increase it. They just suspended it until after the elections. Now, think geopolitics, macroeconomics. The elections are in November next year. It's been postponed, okay, after the elections. So depending on who comes in as a new president, again, um, but now there's an open checkbook. And just as nobody else is buying US debt, well, I wouldn't say nobody, but China, the biggest holder, is selling off. Other countries are seeing it as a bit risky after the US got downgraded. So now the US also has to keep offering higher interest rate. This is where the yield curve and the inverted yield curve and all that stuff comes into macroeconomic concepts. But they have to offer more money. And because people aren't buying it, uh, I'm just trying to think of the Treasury Secretary used to be the head, head of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. Yeah. She's the head of the Treasury now. They've just come out and said, we're going to issue $1.9 trillion of more debt before the end of 2023. 
Wow. So in the next four months, they're going to issue another two trillion of debt. Now, now think through. They're already two trillion dollars in the hole per year, and they're going to issue another two trillion dollars worth of debt. So they're getting their checkbook filled up. You know, have you said where does the government get the money from? They issue the debt beforehand. Okay, they issue the debt beforehand. As I said in New Zealand, also when you said how, where did the New Zealand get the money from, they issued the bonds beforehand. It was sitting in the New Zealand government's bank account there, and then they just opened the floodgates and gave it to everyone. Sit at home. So now again, think about this. Between now and December 2023, the U.S. government is going to issue 1.9 trillion dollars of debt. Now it'll sit in what they have called is a Treasury General account. It's called a TGI. So it's there, the government's bank account. They'll have 1.9 trillion of fresh money just sitting there to spend into the economy. And last week we spoke. Maybe there's a talk of another pandemic coming. Maybe okay. connecting the dots, guys. Okay. Yes, there is, especially in the U.S. Okay, let's let's bring it back to here. We have, and one of the reasons I think that um, uh, Roger Douglas, Sir Roger Douglas, who started ACT, and uh, of course has. Um, his place in the economic history of the country going back to the uh, mid-80s. He's saying that, um, well, first of all, he he's drawn attention to our unfunded liabilities, yeah. which obviously are, are massively smaller in dollar terms than the US, but proportionally high, right, per capita. We have an aging population that we have to look after. We have to fund. We've got a dropping birth rate. We've had an impact from the COVID experience in terms of health and death. And we've got a, a birth rate that's been affected by that as well. So we're in the same situation, aren't we, with unfunded liabilities? How are we going to look after our um, aging bubble of baby boomers who will be getting right to that stage where they really need the care, where at the bottom end coming into the working age population, we're seeing quite a reduction. So we've got the worst of both worlds, potentially, unless I'm missing something. How vulnerable then are we in this situation? Uh, in the same bucket, mate. This is it. This is globally. The Western countries have promised stuff that they can't keep their promises. And this is why they have to default on their debt. And if they promise you social security and free hospital care and all of that, which we already know is it's, it's the Medicare system, even in Australia and New Zealand is kind of really difficult. People have to wait in line for months and years, and that's why people take health insurance. But the government's going to default on its promises. Let's just put it that way. Um, so if you're just relying on social security or your superannuation or your uh, government uh, retirement funds, I would say have a plan. Um, let's say, for example, I'll, I'll throw two different scenarios at you. So let's say they they, they default, okay, uh, which I said is what's going to be. So that helps them then go, okay, that's okay, but we're going to do UBI. So everybody's going to get amounts. So now it's not only the superannuants or people who don't have jobs, with, because a lot of people will lose their jobs through this next collapse as well. Because uh, you'd need only so many bank tellers and you need so many people just pushing admin paperwork through. It's the people, the laborers, you still need plumbers and electricians and all of that. So the productive part of the economy are the ones who will survive. There's a lot of desk jobs that will go, especially with AI and all of that. Lawyers are losing their jobs because... Yeah, so white-collar jobs are vulnerable. The well-paid, professional-class yes. jobs, right? Mostly, right? But so let's say the government... 
defaults, it's very easy for them to bring in the UBI and the CBDC, which is the most um, common sense uh, scenario. And they might swap one for one. Uh, one New Zealand dollar is one ENZD or one New Zealand dollar is two ENZD. Who knows? Um, but let's say that is not the case. And the government even decides to... Um, I'm, I'm just trying to talk through slowly to explain to people. Let's say I don't know what a superannuate gets in New Zealand, but let's say they get $500 a week. Okay? Now... Let's say the same scenario happens, but the governments don't default. Now, the government has to create billions and billions of more paper magical units to give you that $500 uh, uh, a week, which we said was inflation. So they have promised you $500 a week. So you're still going to get $500 a week. But it's going to be worth something. It's going to be absolutely. Able to buy, buy That's something. the whole point I was going to very slowly is you'd probably buy $50 worth. So they'll be like, look, we kept our promises. We are giving you $500, but it might not buy you much. So uh, this, is, this is also why the older generation suffers generally through these government tricks, right? So if you realize what have happened after the global financial crisis was – as I've said, they had to make people go out and borrow more. But the people in the baby boom generation, they had houses, they had assets, they had money sitting into the bank. If I was a 60-year-old with a million dollars in a bank, I don't need to borrow any more money because my house is paid for and I'm just living quite comfortably uh, with the super and all of that stuff as well. But when they drop interest rates, these poor people, these poor rich, uh, not poor, but the poor people, poor, rich old people, who have a million dollars in the bank account earning 6 or 7% interest on their term deposits and can quite comfortably live are now getting 1% or 2% interest on their interest rates. And their rates are going up. Everything's getting more expensive. Can you see they cannot survive now? So now they not only have to dig into their million dollars of term deposit, live off some of their savings. Well, that's not so hard, but yeah, okay. They've... It's not so hard, but you're eating away into the million becomes 900 in a couple of years, becomes 800 because of inflation. Plus you're getting a low return on your money. Now, some of these people went right out the risk of, because just putting money in a term deposit was earning you 1% and inflation in the economy was 3%. So as I've explained in our second or third episode, people were getting negative real rates. So now if you buy shares or you invest in a finance company that might be giving you 7 or 8%. So you see what happened in the global financial crisis also was a few finance companies went under, but some of these rich people weren't getting enough of a return. So they had to go out to the risk of, uh, get into some finance companies or more um, riskier assets instead of lost, sitting in a term deposit. And, and, and they yeah. lost it all. And they lost it all. So this is this is the stupidity that governments sometimes do. Um, I'll leave it at that, mate. Okay. Um, yes. Good to chat again, Farzan. Um, we'll do it again next Thursday. Plenty to think about there. If people want to get in touch, just remind us the best method for that to uh, get directly to you. Yeah, sure. Thanks for that, Paul. Uh, it is uh, successsimplified.life. Um, get in touch is at the bottom as well. So just flick me an email and I'll try and get hold of uh, you guys again. We'll talk again next Thursday. Farzan, thanks again. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.